Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. And today... We're going to be wrestling again, because you may recall, if you've been listening to the show a while, there was a time long ago, once in the world before, that I heard a voice whispering in the darkness, and I listened, and it said to me, supernatural wrestling movies. <laughs> and we, of course, that, that led to us covering Santo and the Treasure of Dracula, one of my favorite <laughs> movies we've watched, pitting the ultimate good guy hero wrestler against the forces of Satan and the undead in the form of a... Uh, Actually, a rather, uh, from what I recall, square, uh, normal-looking Dracula, just kind of like cape and, you know, uh, the, the classic uh, uh, Bela Lugosi look. Right. Now it is time once again. Uh, the voice has called out to us, and this time it said not supernatural wrestling movies, but science fiction lucha libre. That's right. We're dipping back into the wild world of Mexican Lucha Libre cinema. And uh, yeah, this movie is a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about Doctor of Doom from 1963. It's uh, it's a different beast in that, yeah, it leans more ridiculous sci-fi as opposed to ridiculous supernatural elements. And also, while Santo in The Treasure of Dracula was a luchador picture starring El Santo himself, this is a luchadora picture, focusing instead mostly on female wrestlers. Oh, and what a treat it was to discover that there are science fiction lucha libre movies where the main luchadora is played by none other than Lorena Velasquez, uh, who you may remember from our episode on the movie Ship of Monsters, another one of my favorite films we've, we've done on this show. Uh, Lorena Velasquez in that played one of the uh, 
two aliens sent to Earth to find Earth's greatest hunks. And uh, <laughs> she was an absolute delight in that movie. I love her in this movie as well. She is our our heroine, our, our, our butt-kicking uh, luchadora hero. Uh, so th- today's movie, the version of it I saw was known with the English title Doctor of Doom. But I wanted to raise an issue right here at the beginning because this movie is also known as Las Luchadoras Contra el Medico Asesino meaning I guess the luchadoras versus the killer doctor or versus the medical assassin. <laughs> and um, there's a complication here with the fact that just before we started recording, I was looking around on the internet and I discovered that El Medico Asesino was also the name of an actual luchador, but I don't think he is in any way related to this movie. Or if he is, I couldn't tell how he was related to the movie, except in the overlapping idea of a killer doctor. Yeah, because this this film does not have, outside of one dude who shows up, there's not a male wrestler, there's not a luchador proper in this film. Uh, So this guy, who I wasn't familiar with, is not part of the picture, so maybe it's just coincidence. I do remember there's a good scene where a male wrestler just gets beat up by a room full of lady wrestlers. (laughs) I loved that. Yeah. Oh, and there is a caveat. There is is an actor in this film who... who was a wrestler may have been a wrestler at the time of the film. We'll get into that. But for the most part, none of the characters are male uh, luchadors. Uh, No no male luchadors are showing up and saving the day. It's all up to the ladies and, of course, other men. We'll get into that in a second. Um, But, yeah, I wasn't familiar with this particular luchador, though there is, interestingly enough, another guy I was familiar with whose name was uh, Dr. Cerebro, I think. And his lucha mask looked rather standard, except on the top, it looked like there was an exposed brain, like he had had open uh, cranium, you know, brain surgery. So he's just like going into the ring with brain exposed? Well, you know, it's that's brave. It's not you're not supposed to believe that that's his actual brain up there, but that's the way his mask (laughs) is decorated. So a lot of what was fun to me about Santo and the Treasure of Dracula was that uh, that sort of like ludicrous collision of the different genres. Mm-hmm. The fact that you are pitting a, a in one sense, very mundane but exciting uh, sport with a charismatic hero, Lucha Libre, you know, Mexican wrestling, with these uh, supernatural monster themes. And this movie has exactly the same appeal. It pits... Uh, you know, mundane earthly wrestlers against a science fiction murderer who wants to steal people's brains for his ungodly experiments. Yes. I think the other interesting comparison to make is Santo and the Treasure of Dracula. Yes, you had absolute evil in in Dracula, but then you have absolute goodness in the ultimate technico uh, el santo who is so good and so capable like it's never really in doubt who's going to come up on top he's a superman he's a he's a living legend um and then as far as female characters go in that film they're mostly just there to look beautiful and stand in the background mm-hmm. this picture is kind of it's, it's interesting you know in the way that it sort of attempts to depict feminine strength because, um, you know, on one hand, this is 1963 and it's uh, an obvious genre picture, a B movie. It's, it's, it's only going to do so much. Um, and we end up with this weird mixture of, of female character traits, both, um, uh, you know, very stereotypical, but then also, uh, you know, these are luchadoras. They're supposed to be strong, capable women. Oh, yeah. Well, once again, I love Lorena Velasquez, and she she's great as the heroine in this. Uh, uh, two thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, 
it's still, again, it's 1963, so things are only going to be so uh, progressive. Uh, because despite the fact that the various female characters in the film, including a female scientist, uh, you know, get to show that they're capable, the, 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 the luchadoras get to beat up uh, a bunch of men, and, and that's pretty great. But still, we ultimately end up in the place plot-wise where men have to save the women. And I would say that ultimately that's, that's the weak link in the picture. Hmm. Are you talking about uh, what are you referring to there? Like the the detective character, the detective characters who show up. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it it ends up they end up having like more of a role in ultimately defeating the villains than I think we would want today uh, as as modern viewers. And I think maybe even in '63, like it's a film about luchadoras. I, I want to see the luchadoras doing more in the finale. Uh, but, you know, that's that's my take on it. Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, Lorena and, uh, and and Golden Ruby uh, open quite a few cans in the film. They I, do. Yeah, they do. They do not hold back on just beating the tar out of some uh, some henchmen. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. It, we'll, we'll see. What, we'll, we'll see where we get with this when we start talking about the plot. All right. Elevator pitch. I don't know that we, we really need one at this point, but basically it's a brain transplant mad science picture, but with female wrestlers in it. There's a wonderful scene in this film where a news report uh, shares the the information with the public that the police were able to determine from markings on the victim that their brain had been removed. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's pretty clear that they're not removing the brains through the nose. No, they're going right in the top, yeah. uh, Dr. Cerebro style. So, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> I think the markings would be pretty obvious. <laughs> they don't show you the markings. What do those markings look like indicating the brain have been removed? Yeah, it, I'm picturing open skull and an ice cream scoop, uh, bloody ice cream <laughs> scoop laying next to it. You know. All right. Well, when it comes to the trailer for this film, um, I wasn't able to find uh, an obvious example of either the English or the, the, the Spanish language trailer. So instead, we're going to feature just a clip here from the English dub of the picture. Uh, Joe, uh, this is going to be the one failure after another monologue between the two mad scientists. One failure after another, Boris. The operation is tremendously difficult, Doctor. Isn't there any human being that can stand the shock? Perhaps a stronger type of woman. An athlete. One that can take more punishment than the average. If we could find a woman like that, Doctor, she'd probably live through the operation. You know, they really give the murderous mad doctor a lot of pathos. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. He he is a very fun character, uh, though he has a secret identity. You don't know who he is. There's a lot of Scooby-Doo action going on in this picture. So we're going to treat that uh, with, with kid gloves, at least for a while. We're going to yeah. try and re- retain the spoiler, uh, keep it fresh for you. We'll, yeah, we'll warn you at the end before we do the reveal, though it's not very hard to figure out. Who no. the... <laughs> you'll you'll see it coming miles away. You'll see it on the horizon with the sun rising behind it. Uh, but it's it, but and, yeah, it's still fun when it gets there. I totally agree. Yeah, it, it's not much of a mystery, but it's a great reveal anyway. All right. Well, if you want to take a break here and go watch the film, uh, it's pretty widely available. You can currently stream it on, just to name some of those sites, Amazon Prime, Fandor, Tubi, Flix Fling. I'm some, I don't know if some of those are real. Some of those I might be making up on the fly. Um, you can also rent or buy it several places digitally as well. If you're looking for a DVD copy, I think something weird 
put it out on disc a while back alongside Wrestling Women versus the Aztec Mummy. All right, let's get into the, uh, the cast and the, the people involved in making this picture. Starting at the top uh, with our director, uh, Rene Cardona, who lived 1905 through 1988. Uh, Cardona was a director, actor, producer, writer, and editor, but best remembered as a director in the golden age of Mexican cinema. Um, he was born in Havana, Cuba. Uh, he began medical school there, but had to flee the country for New York City. He was unable to continue his studies, but he got involved in filmmaking, which took him to Hollywood. And then he made the move to Mexico City, uh, first as an actor, uh, but then he went on to direct, I think, 146 different um, uh, pictures, or at least that's a, the credit uh, number on IMDb. As an actor, he was in some really well-received Mexican films, such as The Priest's Secret from 41 and The Rock of Souls from 43. As a director, however, he mostly made his splash directing, I think, seven different Santo movies, including uh, Santo and the Treasure of Dracula from 69, uh, as well as uh, such titles as She-Wolves of the Ring and 1972's Night of the Bloody Apes, which is sort of a a nastier retread of this film. Like, basically, he came back around and like, what have I made Doctor of Doom except sleazier for the 1970s? I recall looking at that one to see, oh, maybe this would be good for the show, but thinking it looked just gross. Yeah, yeah, same, same. Uh, uh, sometimes I'll forget and I'll go back and it's like, oh, Night of the Bloody Ape sounds good. And then I, I look at the details I'm like, no, 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 not this one. But he also made an absolutely unforgettable Christmas classic. Oh, yes. Santa Claus from 1959, in which Santa Claus and the devil battle for the soul of poor Lupita in Mexico City. Can you imagine if they had gotten uh, Santo and Lupita together in the same movie, like just the pure goodness would like it would like blind you. Oh, man, that that would be good. Oh, speaking of uh, Santa Claus, if, uh, if memory serves, the actor who played Santa Claus in that is also in Night of the Bloody Apes. I think he plays a doctor in that, maybe the mad doctor in that picture. Hmm. Well, as far as story and adaptation credit, uh, this goes to Alfredo Salazar, who lived 1922 through 2006, brother of Mexican director Abel Salazar. Alfredo scripted a number of notable Mexican B-pictures, including the Aztec Mummy movies, multiple Santo movies, including Santo and the Treasure of Dracula. He also wrote The Batwoman from 68, 1967's uh, The Panther Women as well, which is another well-regarded luchadora film. Uh, but this one starred exotic dancer uh, Tongolela. Uh, I, was, I was interested in this one. This was a close pick for this week. I was looking for a good luchadora picture, and, and that was the runner-up. Mm, well, maybe we'll have to check that out in the future as well. Now, when I'm thinking about the writing of... Uh, wrestling films like this obviously one thing i love is the the combination of the genres and the subject matter so you know the science fiction horror or the uh, the supernatural horror with the wrestling but the other thing is i'm wondering how you're going to find new ways every time to work in a wrestling match as the climax because <laughs> it's hard to make that fit in this movie they do it pretty well yeah, yeah, uh, it is an interesting challenge. I was thinking about this a lot while watching it as well. Like, okay, they 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 had the mandate. It's got to be probably. I'm assuming they were probably like, it's got to be a luchadora film. People want to see luchadoras. 
the luchador films are very successful. So just do that. And they're like, okay, well, well, all right, we gotta, we gotta somehow work it in. Okay. What is our, what's our villain going to be? Yeah. How do you weave it together? And you'll end up with a situation where of course your mad brain transplant doctor needs strong women. So he's going to target or attempt to target luchadoras. Right. So in this film, they managed to do it by having like, oh, she think our our heroine thinks she's just going into a regular wrestling match against a human wrestler. But in fact, this is a super powered brain transplanted uh, monster of science. Uh, but like, how do they usually I mean, every time is it just like the, the hero or heroine gets tricked into a wrestling match with somebody they think is a human, but turns out to be a monster or something? Well, with I think in a lot of those Santo pictures, it, it also comes down to uh, characters realizing, hey, we've got some sort of problem. We've got a threat. We need to call El Santo. Mm-hmm. Santo, because he's like a superhero. He's larger than life. Right. He's solving crimes and defeating evil. In this picture, though, uh, Gloria Venus, who we'll talk about in just a minute, like she's just a working luchadora. That's true. She, yeah. So they just get sucked into this whole situation. Um, they don't call her. She's not a crime fighter. So in a way, this film is a lot more believable. It's a lot more realistic. That, yeah, I guess that's a difference. Now, I, I can't recall, actually, did the climax of Treasure uh, Santo and the Treasure of Dracula even involve a match in the ring? Maybe it didn't. Maybe it was I just a, a bunch of did. wrestling and fighting in like actual locations relevant to the plot. Yeah, there there are other Santo pictures where 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 that is the factor. Like the there's a like uh oh the the evil uh, Rudo is actually a werewolf, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't think that happened at all in Treasure of Dracula. Okay, so I maybe it's a. Well, I don't know. I wonder if it's a thing over time. They are more comfortable just having the climax be some kind of conflict outside the ring. But maybe in earlier pictures, they're 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 like, okay, we got to bring it back to the ring somehow for the big showdown. Yeah, yeah, and and perhaps as they go, yeah, they have to keep thinking of ways to spice it up. What can we do differently? We can't just have the same format, even though these are you know the, the expectations are there for the audience. I'm sure this has been commented on a million times, but I, I can't help but notice it seems to me like the the great uh sort of fantastical over-the-top dramas the fictionalized stories in these uh mexican wrestling films from the middle of the century must have contributed to the elaborate fictional storylines that come to fill in between the matches in like uh, american professional wrestling circuits does that make sense yeah maybe so um yeah, it's interesting, though, because I don't think you see much of that in Lucha Libre. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, you end up having this thing where, um, you know, uh, uh, American wrestling ends up influencing Lucha Libre uh, and, and so forth. So there's a lot of um, exchange going there between these different styles. You know a lot more than me. I, I guess I had assumed, maybe maybe I was wrong, that the like all the, the elaborate fictional backstories and the soap opera aspect of it uh, is is a more recent thing in American professional wrestling that like if you go back to the mid-century they didn't have as much of the like supposed backstage drama and the kind of super the meta stories right I believe that is the case that's my understanding yeah that you, you go back uh, far enough and uh, a lot of these uh, pro wrestling products are based are going to be very similar um, they've all originally based on kind of a U.S. Euro model mm-hmm. where it's more about the action in the ring and uh, if there may be some, you know, backstage stuff, radio stuff, et cetera, but it's not as much of a focus as it is today in American wrestling. 
another question you might not know the answer i don't know but does like does modern american pro wrestling at all rope in any of these like uh supernatural or science fiction themes is there like a, a wrestler in the wwe today that wants to remove people's brains uh yeah i think there is one guy <laughs> there's all there's always there's always room for a supernatural gimmick uh-huh. um in in wrestling especially american wrestling and and sometimes in japanese it it just it kind of varies but definitely in american wrestling you'll always have at least one maybe two guys that are doing some sort of supernatural gimmick and you know it it it's one of those things that some people love some people hate and i guess it's it's great for great for the the kids if nothing else uh, mm-hmm. i don't know I, I enjoy it i think there should always be some sort of a undead zombie man in wrestling of course always gotta have a vampire gotta have a brain thief yeah <laughs> oh hey but i want to say one thing about the particular version of this movie that i watched that i really uh enjoyed was the 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 english dub of it so i i haven't uh, I, I couldn't speak to the the Spanish audio version, but the English dub on this movie was great fun and highly amusing. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed the dub. Um, unlike Treasure of, of Dracula, now, tra- with Treasure of Dracula, I also enjoyed the dub. But that was, as you might recall, a modern mm-hmm. dub yeah. that attempted to and I think mostly succeeded in capturing the feel of an of a 1960s dub. Yes. Uh, but you could tell it was modern. Uh, th- yeah. Th- from what I could tell it the one i was watching i think was vintage yeah this is vintage this is uh, because this film was distributed in uh, the u.s by k gordon murray who lived 1922 through 1979 uh, american producer best known for dubbing um uh, and releasing foreign films for the U.S. market, including such films as The Robot vs. the Aztec Mummy from 57, Santa Claus, we just talked about, oh, and uh, The Brainiac from 62, which is uh, a really fun Mexican vampire movie in which the, in which the, the vampire is, is very monstrous. Has a long tongue, am I right about that? Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting. Uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, well, let's get into the cast here. We've, we've mentioned her several times already, but yeah, Gloria Venus, played by uh, the beautiful and talented Lorena Velasquez, born 1937, and uh, as of this recording, uh, uh, still around. I don't think she's been active in the last few years, but she had a very long career. You, I think she was still showing up occasionally in films or TV shows. I love Lorena Velasquez in this movie, and I loved her in the other one we watched, Ship of Monsters. In both cases... Uh, it's a very interesting kind of performance in that she is not chewing the scenery. Like she's not doing uh, an, an over the top, uh, you know, high energy acting uh, performance. She's, she's very reserved. You might say in the character kind of uh, like uh, economical with her movements and her expressions, but to a very uh, pleasing effect. Like she just kind of wears this expression of, ironic, almost inappropriate amusement uh, almost all the time. And it <laughs> plays so well in these scenes. Yeah. And it's not like she's um, cracking up or, um, or, or, what is it, or corpsing as the, I think is the modern term for it. It's not like yeah. that, but it's just, she strikes this nice balance of amusement. But I think a, a big difference here is that uh, while, while she's great in this movie, uh, Lorena Velasquez was not a wrestler first. And right. you don't, I don't, think see her do much if any actual wrestling in this movie she is frequently replaced by an obvious stunt double yeah i mean they might have taught her a few things just for some of the these scenes where she's applying a submission hold and you see her face mm -hmm. uh, rather clearly but yeah uh, she was i think she was a model turned actor uh and plays a wrestler here very different from these scenarios where someone like el santo or blue demon are luchadors first and they become a big enough name that they transition into acting as well and i guess you could argue of course that uh you know being a luchador is already 
that gives you kind of a leg up into the acting world because it is both an athletic art and a performance art at the same time. It's like having to be an athlete and an actor rolled into one. Yeah, though with with some some key differences, and you know, uh, I, I imagine it's not a, a seamless uh, transition, um, but. Uh, but but great for the stunt scenes. Like I will say that the, the wrestling that we see in Santo and the Treasure of Dracula is is far superior to what we see in this picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and and part of that I think has to do with the fact that you that it's centered around a, a non wrestler, an actor uh, playing the key role. Uh, agree. So it's like there there's less uh, I don't know I guess technical flair, but I no, nonetheless greatly enjoyed the 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 beat 'em up scenes. Oh yeah yeah certainly. Uh, so yeah, she was a model. She was, uh, but she was also stepdaughter of actor Victor Velasquez, and um, a former beauty pageant competitor. Uh, I believe from Miss Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in two different Santo movies from 1962: Santo versus the Zombies and Santo versus the Vampire uh, Woman or Women. I can't remember which one it is, but at any rate, she is a vampire woman in that she plays Zorina, Queen of the Vampires. Oh, I got to see that one. Uh, she was also in another Santo movie as well, 1965's The Diabolical Axe. So this is her first portrayal of Gloria Venus. And uh, she went on to play that character again in 1964's Wrestling Women versus the Aztec Mummy. And she played Loretta Venus in 1965's She Wolves of the Ring, also from Cardona. I haven't seen that one, so I don't know if it's just basically the same character or if the name gets changed by accident or if it's supposed to be her sister. I'm not sure. It takes place uh, a generation in the future and she plays her own daughter. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what the angle is there. But um, at any rate, uh, yeah, she's a delight. She was a huge star in Mexican cinema and also had a presence on Mexican soap operas and was active up until, I believe, uh, about 2020. Hmm. All right. Just because it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a 60s film centering around female characters doesn't mean you get away without having some sort of a hunky uh, man hero in the picture. And that's what we have in, uh, in this character, Armando, played by Armando Silvestri. Ladies and gentlemen, meet your jawline. Yes. He was born in 1926, and I, I think it's still uh, still around. He was apparently a bullfighter turned actor Whoa. who was active from uh, 1947 through 2017 as an actor. Uh, apparently, he left bullfighting for acting after being badly gored. Oh, wow. And I have to say... Had, had quite a quite an acting career, uh, played a lot of hunky leading men in Mexican cinema, but also played various parts in American Westerns. So his credits include numerous Cardona pictures, including Night of the Bloody Apes and the Wrestling Women versus the Aztec Mummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also pops up in 1970s Two Mules for Sister Sarah, 1968's The Scalp Hunters and um, and some other pictures as well. So uh, m- multiple Lucha films in there, though, to be clear. Now, we got another major character to mention, uh, which is that it- our our heroine in this film does not fight alone. She ends up developing a uh, great friendship with uh, with another luchadora, and it becomes kind of a buddy picture in a way. And that is with the the luchadora Golden Ruby. Is that Ruby spelled with a Y or Ruby spelled with an I? Ooh, I don't remember. But uh, but Golden Ruby is played by Elizabeth Campbell, born nineteen forty two, American actor uh, who is uh, with a number of films. I think a lot of um, a lot of her filmography is, is Mexican. Uh, cinema. Um, so she was in all of the Luchadora movies that we've mentioned so far <laughs> uh, in this episode, as well as Los Lobos del Ring. And uh, she pops up in at least one U.S. Western, 1966's The Professionals. 
she and Lorena make a great team. There are multiple scenes of there. There's like one scene where they're, uh, I think they're temporarily roommates for some reason. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. they're both just like sleeping in these twin beds in what looks like an apartment. Uh, and, uh, they're like, Hey, wait, somebody's about to break in and try to steal our brains. <laughs> so they like <laughs> pretend to be asleep. And then when mm-hmm. the guys sneak in the window, they just pop up and, and whip their butts. Yeah. And they're they're not even I don't think they're even doing they might have thrown some arm drags or something. But for the most part, they're just like pummeling these guys in the face with their fists. That's yeah. Great. OK, now a, another major actor in this picture is Roberto Canedo, who lived 1918 through 1998. He plays the professor. I loved this guy's performance as well as and, and also whoever did the English dub for him. Big, big <laughs> uh, thumbs up on both. Agree. This is a very fun uh, dubbing. Oh, yeah. So he quite often it gets extremely close to the James Mason voice. So he comes in and says, oh, it's terrible how they've been stealing everyone's brains, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. This this character is a lot of fun. He gets he's invited to attend the Lucha and, and he's like, oh, no, I, I absolutely deplore it. It's 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 so violent. I, I, I can't stand it. I don't have the, 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 the constitution for it. He walks backstage after watching a Gloria Venus match. He's like there yeah. to see her. And um, he comes into her locker room or whatever. She's like, oh, did you like my match, Professor? He's like, it was terrible. I can't stand <laughs> violence. It just disgusts me. I want to vomit right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's a really fun performance uh, from. Uh, a, a very talented Mexican performer, again, from the golden age of Mexican cinema. Uh, he acted in over 300 films, which included a lot of B films, but also some serious dramas. On the B cinema end of things, he uh, he pops up in several Santo pictures. He's in 68's The Batman. He's in uh, the 1965 werewolf film La Loba. What, and he wait, also... wait, wait a minute. Was the 68 one The Batman or The Batwoman? I'm sorry, it's the Batwoman. I oh, said okay. the Batman, but this is the Batwoman. Uh, this is another Cardona picture. Um, yeah, he's in this werewolf picture. He also pops up in some later-day horror films, such as the 1986 slasher movie Bestia Nocturna and the 1989 Mexican slasher film Grave Robbers, hmm. um, the latter of which is, uh, is available to stream on various sites. I, I was tempted to check it out, but I didn't get a chance. But as a serious actor in, in dramas, uh, he appeared in, in, I think, at least two very critically well-received pictures, including uh, Publerina from 1949 and Crime and Punishment from 1951, an adaptation of Crime and Punishment. Great job, Roberto. He, Yeah, I love him in this. I, I want to see his other movies. Yeah, we'll talk more about his performance uh, as we get into the picture. But hey, you've also got to have some comic relief. You got to get a, a comedian in there. Uh, you might remember in Santo, in the Treasure of Dracula, we had a very funny Mexican comedian, and we have another Mexican comedian in this film. In, in Santo and the Treasure of Dracula, was it Perico, the the annoying yes. sidekick? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, the the, um, <laughs> the the cowardly sidekick. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun. In this, we have the character listed in the credits as Kema. But I think he's he actually has, he gets a different name in the dub, right? I'm not in the English dub. I th- I could be wrong about this, but I think maybe they called him Tommy. Okay, but he's the main detective sidekick. He's Ar- Armando's uh, 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 buddy. Yeah, a, a short little fellow. 
played by Chucho Salinas, who died in 2001. I'm not sure birth uh, date is public record, but yeah, uh, he uh, seems to have been mainly a comic actor, providing similar comic relief in such pictures as The Wrestling Women versus The Aztec Mummy uh, and some other Lucha pictures. He was also in some just outright comedies such as Mexico 2000. Uh, from 1983, I believe we talked about that one in Ship of Monsters because it's the same director. Oh, Rogelio Gonzalez. Yeah. Well, in this movie, a lot of his comedy scenes, I think, are coming from an apparent mismatch where he's uh, he and Ruby, uh, Golden Ruby, seem to be falling in love with each other, which mm-hmm. is funny because he's very short and she's very tall. And that's all, that's all there is to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty one-note uh, joke, one-note romance, but... Um, uh, they they keep uh, touching base on it. Oh, it's sweet, though. It is sweet, yes. We also, did we mention that we have an ape man in this picture? Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a, so we not only brain transplants, this movie has Island of Dr. Moreau in it. They're, you know, the, yeah. mad, the mad doctor is like, why don't I make a half man, half gorilla? Wouldn't that be good? Yes, it would be good. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, the poster makes it look like it is a gorilla or a gorilla suit. It is not. It is more of a gorilla, like you said, a doctor, Island of Dr. Moreau sort of thing. Well, that's um, how it's and, described. With the, it's just a, it's just a guy, and they glued some extra extra hair on him and some uh, gave him some like a prosthetic nose, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Limited uh, prosthetics were applied to him. Yeah. Uh, but the, the the fella that these prosthetics are applied to, and that they glued some hair on, um, is a pretty interesting uh, character. This is Gerardo Zapita, who lived 1935 through 2011. So th- this is just a, one of your your class. You find this in any in any cinematic uh, uh, culture. You have a you have a great brute man character actor here. Uh, plays a lot of heavies. Plays a lot of monsters. Um, does a lot of work in in genre pictures, but also ends up having some background work uh, in a lot of bigger pictures as well. Now I might guess was this guy himself originally a wrestler. He was. He was originally a luchador wrestling as Gerardo El Romano. Um, I'm not sure how long he was actually active, but it it does seem from what I was reading about him on like Lucha Wiki and some other sites, it sounds like he transitioned full time into into acting after a while. Mm -hmm. This was apparently his first picture, however. He followed it up with several Santo, Aztec Mummy, and Blue Demon pictures. And he sort of reprised this same role in 1969's Night of the Bloody Apes. He is the the, the ape monster in that. Uh, But he also pops up as a bandit in Alejandro Jodorowsky's legendary 1970s psychedelic western El Topo. Oh. Uh, Yeah. He um, he also plays a bandit in 1973's The Mansion of Madness, which is a surreal inmates take over the asylum picture starring the legendary Claudio Brook. Mm. Claudio Brook, uh, for any of you out there not as familiar with Mexican cinema, he pops up in uh, Guillermo del Toro's Kronos. He plays the um, the evil old man who wants it to get a hold of the Kronos device. Evil old man. And the main villain I'm remembering in that is... Um... Is uh, oh, what's his name uh, that we know we know so well? Oh yeah, another great brute man actor, Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman, I remember. So Ron mm-hmm. Perlman worked for him in this movie. Yeah, yeah. His boss is Claudio Brook. Okay. So anyway, that that's a picture. We I, there's some elements to it that kind of disqualify it from uh, Weird House Cinema, but it's a great Claudio Brook performance. 
Anyway, as far as um, uh, Zepeda goes here, his other credits include roles in 1983's Beyond the Limit, starring Michael Caine, Richard Gere, and Bob Hoskins, mm. Oliver Stone's 1986 film Salvador. Oh, and he, he's also in the, I did not know this existed, but there's a 1981 Ringo Starr Caveman movie titled Caveman. Bet that's great. But yeah, it, it has the, <laughs> the, the look of, uh, of, of, um, of, of, of quality to it. I don't Wait know. a minute. Now, I may have seen, there, there were a lot of caveman movies, but uh, I may have seen part of this one because I remember seeing a movie on TV when I was younger where a um, Tyrannosaurus Rex is hit in the groin with a club and its eyes go cross-eyed. <laughs> well, it, it, it sounds like 1981's Caveman might be the sort of picture where that happens. Dennis Quaid is also in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. We may, we may have to come back and examine this one in greater detail. This is always one of the fun things about diving into pictures like this is you discover things you had, had no idea that it existed and, or that had any right to exist. Caveman from 1981 takes place in the year 1 zillion B.C., by the way. That's, hmm. <laughs> that's part of the I setup. could have done just a little bit of research to <laughs> get that a little more calibrated. Oh, wait, yeah. I just looked it up. Caveman had Barbara Bach in it. Oh, wow. Great cast, great cast, if nothing else. Um, oh, uh, oh, just a g- couple of more. Yeah, Zepeda also shows up in uh, Tony Scott's 1990 Kevin Costner film Revenge. And he's also in John Frankenheimer's The Burning Season from 1994, which starred Raul Julia. Mm. So not, not bad, all told. Okay. And finally, as far as the music goes, Antonio Diaz Conde did the music. He died in 1976. He was just—he was a prolific Mexican composer who worked on a ton of B pictures during this time period. I, I get the impression he was you know, just churning it out. Um, it's it's pretty standard stuff here. It's good. I, you know, it mm-hmm. it delivers the, the the musical vibes you expect from a, a lucha picture from this era. I recall the music often really turns on a dime. There's like a sudden <laughs> cut and it goes from, you know, just the like plowing ominous uh, orchestral music to straight into going, oh, doop de doo, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. whimsical fun stuff. <laughs> but, you know, he's just keeping up with the picture, really. Should we take a break and then come back to talk about the plot? Let's do it. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. 
Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, so I guess it's time to talk about the plot. And if we sound different at all right now, it's because we had to split this recording up into two different sessions. So now we are returning from the uh, <laughs> from the interlude to talk about the plot of Doctor of Doom. And I think one thing I will say, kicking off uh, the, this this movie, is that it should, it probably assumes now my number one uh, position for for movies that just get on with it this movie <laughs> makes haste so at the very beginning no studio logo no credits the first 13 seconds of this film depict what appears to be a murder i think later it is just a a gorilla man kidnapping that will turn into a murder but it like it happens so fast so like orchestral you know ominous orchestral music is just grinding from frame one we see this grimy looking back lot it, it looks i guess like a like a film studio lot uh but then there's a woman in a fur coat walking around with a handbag she's walking briskly as though afraid and then there are two menacing goons in suits and ties following her here we're about eight seconds in she looks over her shoulder she's afraid the music swells there is a different dude, not one of the two suits, but a shirtless guy with hairy arms. He reaches out from behind a brick wall, strangles her from behind. Then we're at like 13 or 14 seconds in, and then we cut to a ladies wrestling match, and then the credits roll. <laughs> Remember that thing about the head explosion scene in Scanners, how they like put the, it was originally going to be the opening scene, but then they put it later because they didn't want people coming in late to the movie, to the theaters to miss it. Mm -hmm. uh, Rene Cardona was obviously not consumed with similar worries about this uh, Gomar attack scene. Yeah, yeah. Cronenberg was more like, oh, well, we want to we want to make sure they have time to get in, have a seat, get their popcorn so they can see that our signature special effect. Uh, Cardona is more like we don't want them to leave. We need to we, they've just sat down, make sure that they're getting all the action possible. They need to know that this film is just going to be nonstop. Beast man murder within 13 seconds. Yes. But then, okay, so we cut to a wrestling match and that's what we're going to be watching or at least what we're going to 
try to watch because it has credits playing over it. I was immediately complaining about this because like, we, we can't see the wrestling. The screen is just full of credits in the, uh, you know, the dripping blood font yep. and they were mm-hmm. covering up the action. But upon watching this scene a second time, I realized there may be a reason that they are not letting us get a good look at anything, that they're putting the credits over the wrestling. And it's because I think this scene is a footage double dip. This is the wrestling match we see later in the movie mm. between um, between Gloria Venus and Golden Ruby and uh, La Gazella, the gazelle, and uh, I can't remember the other wrestler's name, uh, but it's the tag team match. And it's clear that it's a double dip because this scene contains characters who won't be introduced until later in the film. Ah, good eye, good eye. I didn't catch this uh, myself when I first started watching the, the picture. Yeah, I didn't either. So we see Golden Ruby in it. Uh, she'll arrive later in the movie. We see the detectives in it kind of like hooting <laughs> at the action. And I think it's funny because didn't we just talk about movies that do this, that show you later scenes from the movie, specifically action scenes during the opening credits, like Thrilling Bloody Sword and All Monsters Attack? Yep, yep. We have this. This does pop up from time to time. And in in cases like like that, they'll often show off signature special effects from later on in the picture uh, in the opening scene. It's like if you were watching Scanners and the opening credits to Scanners showed our hero's head exploding at the end of Scanners, <laughs> you know? Uh, like, it's sometimes that bad. Um, the Thrilling Bloody Sword, yeah, it gives away some of the, the coolest stuff. Um, I guess just saying, hey, stick around because you're going to get to see this without words in front of it later on. Um and then, of course, there are some really um, there are some other ridiculous examples of this, like one of the releases of Pod People, which we also talked about on the show, features footage from an entirely different film, Galaxy Invader. That's right. The opening. One of those Don Dollar movies, the yeah. Maryland special. Yeah. So all told, I would say this is maybe weirdly effective since the footage they're using uh, feel it, it kind of has a generic vibe to it anyway. You don't know who these characters are yet. So for the most part, they're just random wrestlers or random dudes in suits. Right. And it doesn't reveal a monster or a major special effect or a major plot point. That's right. So I didn't catch it until I was looking closely the second time. But there is one character who stands out in the footage you see uh, behind the credits. And I think this is intentional because she is our heroine for the film. One of the the wrestlers in this match is the brave, beautiful, bone-crushingly mighty Gloria Venus, played by Lorena Velasquez. And I like how even in the opening credits, while she's so this is a tag team match, we see her first where she's like at at the ropes. She's watching the match in front of her. She's not even fighting yet. Uh, She's about to come in and open a can here, but she's still got that signature facial expression of the kind of slightly inappropriate aloof amusement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's not touching the tag rope. But then again, now that I say that, I'm not sure Lucha Libre has or had a tag rope. So What, what is a tag rope? They're like these little, um, I didn't know they existed for the longest, um, but uh, if you watch uh, tag matches, uh, especially um, like American tag matches, there are these like little ropes on top of the turnbuckle that the, 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 the wrestler who's not tagged in, the other member of the tag team, has to be touching so that they can't I just see. run around on the ring apron. And sometimes the ref will you know, get on to them and tell them to touch the tag ropes. But I don't know, I that, that might not be a thing in Lucha. But they violate this all the time, right? Don't they just kind of like oh, run yeah, in yeah. when they're not supposed to? 
I mean, that's why you have rules, so yeah. they could be broken by the, the bad right. guys. Okay. Uh, but, of course, Gloria uh, Gloria wins this match. And a- as with most of the fight scenes in this movie, there are shots where Lorraine Velasquez is re- replaced by an incredibly obvious double. Doesn't look mm-hmm. anything like her. Yeah, yeah. They have some some real grapplers on hand to do these stunts. Yeah. I think they try to accomplish it, especially be- uh, by giving her really big hair, which Gloria Venus has. Yeah. And uh, we should also describe Gloria Venus's um, wrestling attire, because you might if, you, if you've not seen this film or seen stills from it, you might imagine, uh, you know, this this beautiful, stunning uh, Mexican actress in some sort of like colorful. I don't know. May, maybe it's um, maybe it's flower theme. Maybe it's space themed. No, it's like a gray full body jumpsuit that she's yeah. wearing. Uh, uh, I mean, the movie's not particularly in- exciting. It's in black and white, so I don't know what color it would have been, but it does appear to That's be true. one single solid color. Yeah, maybe it's like in, in real life it would be a real floral color. I guess that would fit. But yeah, there are no designs on it or anything. It's just a full body suit. And maybe that makes the, uh, uh, I mean, everybody's costume is like that, like this in, in these sequences. Very drab, um, drab outfits going on here. I don't see any sequins or sparkles. Oh, but I wanted to point out there is one shot of her that's definitely Lorena Velasquez. It's not the stunt double. Uh, And it's one where she's doing some kind of strange submission hold where she, like, stretches her opponent's arms out in opposite directions. And I was trying to think, what is this? Is this a real move? What is this move called? Um, I couldn't find exactly what this this is. But Lucha Libre especially has a ton of crazy submission holds. They always have Mm -hmm. uh, all sorts of things, like some things that are rooted more or less in actual grappling and actual wrestling. But then. Uh, it, it it goes crazy from there. There's all sorts of stuff where like people are you know being suspended upside down or <laughs> they're made into a human pendulum or something. Uh-huh. Uh, so this one's not even that wacky, uh, but and it and it has similar vibes with a number of other sort of twisty like step over fold the leg sort of holds. I found one uh, looking around on Lucha Wiki that looked uh, similar called La Cons, uh, Constita. Uh, but it's not a 100% match. Like, it has a little bit more step over. So may- maybe they had something, picked out something, and they kind of adapted it so that uh, Gloria here, uh, again, played by a non-wrestler, could st- stand in and do it. Uh, also, it's worth noting that this is a submission hold where you can see both um, both individuals' faces. Both wrestlers' faces are present, which heightens the drama, mm-hmm. which is uh, not always a concern in lucha, but is often a concern in wrestling in general. And for a film, obviously, you want... You want those facial expressions, especially the facial expression of your your hero here. That's a good point. I'm glad we have your your wrestling expertise to consult when doing oh, things I, like this. I'm no, no expert. But, well, not um, you, my, your relative expertise compared to me. I wouldn't have even thought about the faces. That totally makes sense. But anyway, after the match, Gloria again, Gloria Venus wins, and she returns to her locker room accompanied by her sister, Alice. And Gloria and Alice both have uh, such big hair. Alice's hair here is like a uh, gorgeous, glossy motorcycle helmet. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, this is. I guess this was the, the style of the day, right? I mean, you look yeah. at um, uh, like college yearbooks and high school yearbooks from this era, and this is the hairstyle for women. I don't know what you call this hairstyle. So it's like straight hair, but it's like gigantic. It's like helmet mm-hmm. sized. It's a great look. The 60s were amazing. Uh, so we uh, we learn from their conversation that uh, Glo- Gloria Venus, she says, uh, I would hate to be thought of as a braggart, but no woman has ever pinned me. She, so we, <laughs> she is the undisputed champ. Um, 
And uh, we learn that Alice is not a fighter like Gloria. She says if she were in Gloria's line of work, she would be afraid of getting her arm broken. But they have a good relationship. It looks like they're going to head out to dinner together after the match. So they're close. Then let's cut straight from that to some sci-fi horror. We go to a different scene. Here, there is a person lying on an operating table, strapped with a ventilator mask and all these black hoses running to it, while two creepy doctors in surgical masks lean over the patient with a nervous eagerness. And uh, so these two guys, one is an imposing, taller boss doctor with a piercing glare and a sonorous voice. And then there is a cringing, shorter hench doctor to assist him and to sort of flatter his ego. Yeah, it, it's clear the the taller doctor is the titular doctor of doom. Um, I didn't know you could get a doctorate in doom, but he did. <laughs> He's specialized in doom studies at, uh, yeah. at Moreau University. Um, so uh, so they say, you know, they're, they're ready for the surgery now. So they paint a circle on the uh, on the person's shaved scalp and then they bring in a second person. So they're like lining up these two bodies on operating tables next to each other. Uh, here we get a lot of close ups on rubber gloves and electrodes and stuff like that to let us know that mad science is taking place. But whatever it is they're trying to do here doesn't work out. We get sad orchestral music, and uh, the the lead doctor says, oh, another failure. He's clearly dejected. And here we get some exposition. What's going on here is your standard brain transplant. I think they were trying to take out a random woman's brain and then transplant it into into a man's body, but that doesn't make sense based on some other things they say later. So they, they talk about like putting it in his body. Um, but then they're also saying that this operation will only work with, with women's brains, I guess, because women's brains are better suited for it for some reason. Well, it's because females are strong as hell. They, 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 they basically say this later on. It's like the, the female brain is just more resilient. It's tougher. Yeah. Okay. So there's only women's brains will work, but they also, I'm not clear. Why are they doing this? Did the man that they're trying to transplant into not have a brain of his own? Why did he need a new brain? Uh, they explained that it is the fourth time they have attempted this type of procedure and it has failed every time. Yeah. I don't get the impression they're trying to, to help anyone. They're just, they're, they just <laughs> got to be first. They're trying to, to, to break new ground and become underground surgical legends, I guess. But what's going to happen to the uh, to the patient number one's brain if he gets a new a new brain transplanted into his head? Where does his is it a brain swap? Does his brain go to her head? Uh, maybe one brain's just going in the trash. I don't know. Okay, but the Hinch doctor here has an amazing theory for why the operation has not been a success. He starts uh, hypothesizing that the women's brains they've been trying to transplant have not been smart enough to survive the operation, and they need to stop kidnapping uh, women with dumb brains and instead try to kidnap smart women to get their smart brains. All right, all right. Very interesting. And the boss doctor seems convinced they should try it, but their conversation is interrupted by uh, by kind of bestial growls. What's this? And the boss doctor says, Gomar is acting up again. Gomar? What's Gomar? Well, here we, we introduce the second sci-fi theme adjacent to the first. So this is a wrestling movie. 
It has brain transplants, but as we've alluded to, it is also a Dr. Moreau-style Beastman movie. <laughs> uh, so the monster we saw attack the lady in the opening 13 seconds is Gomar. From what I gather, he is a, a gorilla-human hybrid created by the boss doctor here by transplanting a gorilla's brain into a man's body. Yep, that, that seems to be the case. So this was like patient um, A in okay. this in this effort. This was the first success, uh, and they keep him around because he's useful. Uh, but by the way, there's a just a, a set note here. To get to Gomar's cage, they have to go down in a basement full of cardboard boxes and upside-down chairs. Why all the upside-down chairs? I've got a picture for you to look at here, Rob. There's like at least 10 upside-down chairs. What's going on? Um. I mean, at, at times I thought, well, maybe Gomar has been down there throwing chairs around, but but uh, but he's not actually in this room. Right. This is just a like a storeroom. Yeah. It's like the room that gives access to his cage. It kept making me think about the uh, Gilda Radner skit from It Came From Hollywood, in which there's a radio program talking about an escaped gorilla. And she starts frantically piling everything in her living room up against the, the windows and doors. Mm. Uh, but that doesn't actually provide a, an explanation for what we see here. No. So I, I just don't understand it. Maybe that's just how they store their extra chairs at the mad science lab. Yeah. Or even maybe it's just a case where like set decoration, like we're, we're so used to seeing the wall of cardboard boxes uh, mm-hmm. in films. Like that's a that's a standard. You need to create a storeroom environment. Just pack get some empty boxes, pile them up, start filming. And so they're doing a little bit of this, but then they're getting they're a little choosier. They're like, let's get some other shapes in there. Yeah. Um, one thing that I like about the mad science uh, chamber is that they do a pretty good job of like, you know, you have a lot of stuff going on, but also the shadows of the stuff in the background and in black and white, it tends to play really well. I agree. Yes. This movie actually does a lot of uh, scenes with good shadows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, they go down to meet with Gomar. They give him some raw meat. Uh, they say <laughs> he's uh, I think they explain he's slowly transforming from half man, half gorilla into full gorilla. And the only reason the doctor retains control over him for the moment is because he has Gomar in a hypnotic state and he fears that he will soon lose all control over Gomar. Yeah, this is all tremendous because on one hand, first first of all, you have this is this movie is telling us that if you transplant a gorilla's brain into a human body, um, not only is this a success, but it will gradually transform the body into the body of a gorilla. Yes. And then on top of that, they're just feeding this gorilla just big bloody chunks of meat and bone. Um, gorillas ribs. don't eat big <laughs> chunks of meat. So uh, this is it's, they should be throwing in a whole bunch of like vegetables and stuff. Yeah. Give that gorilla some some fruits and stuff. Yeah. I guess it just wouldn't be as scary if Gomar's sitting there chewing on a big head of cabbage. Uh, but so in this scene, we get the doctor muttering. He says, I must transplant a human brain into another human being. That's the goal I've set for myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he's self-directed in his ambitions. He he picks a project and sticks with it. That's one of my favorite lines from the film. That's yeah. the goal I've set for myself. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of good lines like that. Um, we, we will get to many more. But here's the part where they explain that the experiments have to be done on women because women's brains react better than men's brains to brain transplantation. But then I wondered, well, wait a minute. How would he know that? Because all of his patients have died during the procedure. Well, I guess maybe they're they're dying slower (laughs) when they were working with men. I'm not sure. 
Okay, so here they they agree on the uh, the theory of the Hinch Doctor that they need to find a smart brain to use in the next experiment. Uh, so we get a scene transition, you know, newspaper seller uh, saying, extra, extra, another woman murdered by the mad doctor. So this is the big headline in town. Then we cut inside a building that is, uh, it looks, I mean, it looks just kind of like a house. It's like a living room that has been converted into a laboratory with a bunch of microscopes and chemistry equipment and people in lab coats. Uh, and, oh, what do you know? One of the people here in lab coats is Alice, the sister of Gloria Venus. Uh, but, uh-oh, wait a second. Are you already putting two and two together? She's a scientist, and I think the filmmakers may be suggesting that she has a smart brain. I believe so. Also, I want to note that this uh, living room-like uh, uh, laboratory set, this this is your sane science lab as opposed to the mad science lab we saw earlier. So I think they put a lot of thought into this. It's like, all right, we got to transition to another science lab, but it needs to, we need a different layout. Uh, we need, it needs to be brighter. It mm-hmm. needs to be a little more inviting, multiple people, nobody's being victimized. That's right. Yeah, this one's more cozy than the other one. But even in the science lab, it seems that the latest murder by the mad doctor has has everyone kind of in a buzz. And Alice wants to know more about it. She sends out one of her colleagues to buy her a newspaper so she can learn more. And then into this scene comes the professor, one of my favorite characters. This is the guy who runs this nonspecific laboratory. He is a timid a uh, soft-spoken, bookish man in a vest and tie with thick eyeglasses. And I loved this character, especially in the English dub, because as I mentioned earlier, they give him uh, something pretty close to James Mason voice. And his scenes, for this reason, are almost uniformly hilarious. Yeah, and it's a great, great look, too. Like, he's he's always looking down, rarely making eye contact with the people he's talking to, very meek. And when he does look up, especially if he happens to glance in the direction of the camera, he's got really thick glasses. So you mm-hmm. get, like, that distortion of the eyes. Um, it's great. Like, he's, he's not portrayed as a straight-up comic character, uh, but I guess there's sort of... You know, he's a little bit bumbling and uh, mm-hmm. and, and likable and uh, and and just overly sensitive and concerned. He's got a little touch of uh, who's that guy in Trailer Park Boys with the thick oh, glasses? Yeah. What's his name? Is it Bubbles? Yeah, Is that right. Okay, yeah, yeah, definitely a similar visual uh, effect going on. But he walks up to Alice and he's like, man, it's terrible how they're stealing everyone's brains out there. (laughs) Did you go out last night, Alice? And she says she went out to watch her sister's uh, wrestling match. And then she goes, "Uh, have you ever been to a wrestling match, Professor? And, oh, no, simply couldn't bear it. I abhor violence. It disgusts me. Um, And she tries (laughs) to a real yum yucker here. Yeah. (laughs) She she tries to defend wrestling. She's like, it's a fantastic sport, sir. I I think you'd enjoy it once you saw it. And well, he's not interested in wrestling, but what he is way too interested in is Alice's personal life. He starts in on like, oh, how could you, how could you be walking out alone together without an escort? And he starts, you know, telling her she shouldn't have stayed out late last night, not without a man to help her get home safely. You know, all this. And have you not read about the mad doctor? It's really reckless. And um, uh, and she she just jokes about it. She's like, well, I wear my little rabbit's foot, you know. And he just won't shut up. He's like, <laughs> he starts explaining how it makes him so angry to hear a girl joke about the, a matter as dreadful as this. And not take safety seriously. 
Uh, and then he gets distracted by another lab tech who's like, you know, a professor, the, you know, the blood you ordered last week has arrived. And, uh, so he, he's going to go take care of that. But then he, he has an aside to say like, well, I'll say more to you about this later. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. Real, real Michael Scott levels of, um, wandering around the office here, not really doing anything, but, but just pestering the employees. Uh, but Alice doesn't seem all that annoyed. She just ignores him completely. Mm. And then we get another scene with a uh, news report to trans uh, transition between things. And this is a scene where the, the English dub, once again, was great. Uh, the newscaster says, um, reports show that these nocturnal acts are continuing and police are still accusing that criminal who's caused so much public discussion. Due to his actions, he's been named the Mad Doctor. <laughs> Oh, but then this is the part where I think we mentioned this earlier. So he says the woman he killed last night is in the morgue. She was found early this morning. And as always happened, police found marks showing that the brain had been removed from the unfortunate girl's body. Well, I mean, I guess we saw the mark being made on one of the bodies in the the surgical proceedings earlier. So the little uh, paintbrush. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we know what it would look like. That's how they knew the brain had been removed. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, the mad doctor's identity remains a mystery. The case is still unsolved. But here we meet a couple more main characters, the police detectives. And uh, so this is uh, Armando. um, uh, Armando. Wait, is the actor or the character Armando Silvestri? Um, I think. Oh, goodness. Uh, Silvestri is the the actor. Okay. Okay. Well, so I think in the Spanish version, he's called Armando Campos. But in the English dub, he's called Mike, and his uh, his associate is named Tommy. So it's Mike and Tommy in the <laughs> English dub. Tommy says, you know, they're really looking into it. He says they investigated all the doctors in the medical profession, and that got nowhere. I'm like, wow, yeah. that is a thorough— I love that because it's yeah. like, presumably we're in Mexico City, and they have spoken to all the doctors in Mexico City. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> We interrogated all the doctors. Um, and then there's a there's a comic bit where they're like, okay, well, we still haven't caught him. And uh, then Tommy is like, oh, I've got to go. I've got to go call my grandma and make sure she doesn't go out tonight. <laughs> but then he gets on the phone. And he's like, she's she's quite deaf. And he's like, grandma, stay inside tonight. I can't help but feel this is somebody's stand up bit right here. Um, yeah. may, may, maybe Tommy's stand up bit in real life. Uh, kind of a new heart. Uh, vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. 
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Then from here, whoa, we, we get to a uh, scene with the bad guys, sort of a convention of all the bad guys. The Mad Doctor and his assistant, they appear in masked costumes. Now, remember when we saw them before, they were in surgical garb, so they had caps and, and surgical masks on. And now they are wearing masks almost like Inquisitors or like Lucha masks, I guess, uh, but much creepier, kind of like ghost versions. They look hideously unsettling. Yeah, and in this, we're getting a better look at the full operation here. We've got hooded doctors uh, with secret identities. We've got Gomar, uh, the, the the mutant ape man. And then we have like a whole table, like a, or a, like a whole barrage of, um, of, uh, of heavies here, uh, presumably like uh, criminal underworld characters that are working for the doctor. So th- this, this operation seems well-funded because I, I mean, these guys are not doing this for free. I, I, guess, the, I guess the mad doctor is paying them. Uh, I, I can't imagine what else is in it for them. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he's paying them. In fact, he says later, he's like, uh, you know, I, I reward my employees well, the ones who are loyal to me. Uh, after he's uh, complaining that that uh, he had to uh, to execute a traitor who was going to reveal his identity, yeah, or maybe this is like an underground pharmaceutical company, and <laughs> just <laughs> the other chair people on the board. So anyway, the mad doctor says his experiments cannot be delayed; uh, they must bring him another woman with a brain immediately. Uh, and the the henchmen complain. They're like, "Boss, the police are watching all the highways and searching all cars. We we can't get you a a, a person with a brain." Uh, and he sa- he just says, "Silence! You're going to do exactly as I order you." And uh, he says they don't have to worry about the police because Gomar is going to go with them. And the Mad Doctor has upgraded Gomar with special equipment so that even bullets will be unable to stop him. Ooh, and I, I got excited when I heard this because I, I had no idea where this was going. How are they going to upgrade Gomar? Oh, they got a Gomar's upgrade is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. But who are they supposed to kidnap? They hand off a picture to the henchmen, and oh no, it's a picture of Alice. 
my heart sank upon seeing this. But then there was something, some very funny timing with a music sting here, because you might expect a sting immediately upon revelation mm-hmm. of the photo. But instead, they like show the photo, and then there's a two to three second delay, and then the dun 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 comes in. <laughs> So I I wonder if they were thinking maybe we might need a minute to recognize who was in the picture. I'm not sure. All right. So things are not looking good for Alice at this point. We know where this is headed. Right. So Alice gets kidnapped. We see her working late at the lab doing chemistry. Uh, The professor shows up to pester her some more about how she shouldn't go home alone. uh, And she she ignores him and leaves. But, uh uh-oh, what's this? We see that she forgot her lucky rabbit's foot. It's like the professor examines it. It's hanging there on a coat hook. And then some creeps in suits run up behind Alice on the sidewalk. They grab her. They throw her into a taxi. The uh, I guess the taxis at this place in time all have this pattern of triangles on them, which head on kind of looks like the car has teeth. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe this might be an accident of uh, of, of black and white here. Like maybe mm. it's red and white. I think that would probably make more sense. Mm. But maybe it's black and white in real life. I don't know. Uh, but then we come upon an action scene, which is Excellent. So what, what's going on with Gomar? What's the Gomar upgrade? Do you want to describe it, Rob? Oh, sure. Gomar has been updated with body armor. And when I say body armor, I don't mean like some sort of like military modern tech. I'm talking like he has like plate, like it's kind of like scale mail uh, on his body. And then this big creepy metal mask over his head. The main thing that I instantly compared it to uh, is the uh, the robot in the Phantom Creep starring Bella Lugosi. That mm. has a tremendous robot costume that doesn't quite look like a robot. It looks like it's hideous and demonic. Um, and this has similar vibes, like the, the robot from, from Phantom Creeps and Armored Gomar could be a tag team. So the police try to stop the uh, henchmen from kidnapping Alice. They, like, stop the car. But Gomar gets out in his suit of armor and his mask, which is so his, like, (laughs) golden mask, super creepy looking. He gets out. He fights all the police. He beats them up. I think he kills several of them. He body slams them and so forth uh, and then gets back in the taxi and they head off to the mad doctor's lab. As happens multiple times in the movie, when they get back, Gomar's just standing there in his armor, and the Mad Doctor says, you did a good job, Gomar. (laughs) Yeah, say what you will about uh, the Mad Doctor here and the way he conducts his business, but he he has a lot of positive reinforcement (laughs) um, uh, here for Gomar. He's constantly reminding him, you are doing a good job, and I appreciate it. I just want you to know, Gomar, sometimes I don't take enough time to tell you this, but I appreciate what you're doing, and I love you. It's true. On to the procedure. They're going to try to do another brain transplant. Unfortunately, despite uh, her very smart brain, Alice does not survive the brain transplant surgery. Uh, So they try again, they fail, and Alice dies in the process, tragically. And then the sidekick doctor comes up with a new idea. He, He says, actually, maybe what we needed was not a smart brain, but a brain with some kind of, uh, toughness, athleticism, endurance, a brain from the kind of woman who could both dole out and withstand the most punishing of suplexes and pile drivers. (laughs) But where could we expect to find a brain of this kind? We know where this is going as well. Yeah, that's right. So the mad doctor hears this. He gets a look of sadistic inspiration. He clearly has an idea for how to proceed. Now here we uh there's there's further investigation we go back to the cops they you know they're following up on on the death of Alice 
um, and the police uh, figure out that she has a sister. Everything's coming together here. So the the d- two detectives, Mike and Tommy, they go to inform Glory Venus at the wrestling gym. And this will introduce the, the wrestling gym as a setting where many other scenes occur. Um, there's always like a lot of activity going on in the gym. Yeah, there's a lot of independent workouts going on. Some some women are doing like setups. Some are doing uh, other types of like calisthenics. And then there's always at least a couple of women that are doing some some grapple um, sessions as well. Some mm-hmm. takedowns and some lockups. So of course, Gloria Venus is horrified to find out that her sister has been killed. She has to go in to identify the body, and they the the police are trying to find out anything they can. They end up interrogating the professor from the chemistry lab about what mm-hmm. happened. Um, and, uh, he, oh God, there was a line that made me laugh. So he, he goes up to Gloria Venus and the professor is like, I I can't tell you how sorry I feel, Gloria, about Alice's death. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) like maybe she thought he'd been talking about, you know, uh, how, how far away she had to park from the building or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But but he's, yeah, he's, he's like, he's really taking this hard. uh, The professor's really shook up over this. Uh, so he tries to be helpful. He's like, please do not hesitate to call upon me if you need anything at all. Gloria, do not call the professor. Just don't. <laughs> I don't think she's going to. Yeah. Uh, but she Gloria Venus uh, once again kind of just ignores him and she she vows to find the killer and get revenge. So here we I'd say our act one is complete. This is our setup. Yeah. Yeah. We, we know what everyone wants here. Uh, Mad doctor wants a, wants a, a brain and it's probably going to be it's going to be Gloria Venus's brain that he goes after and Gloria Venus wants vengeance. Right. So the mad doctor sets his henchmen about uh to find women with incredible physical strength and stamina. Uh and here we we cut back to the Luchadora gym where all the grapples are going on. Um and we let's see several things happen. We in act 2 we meet a new character. The they introduce a character named Golden Ruby. Uh mm-hmm. she is I think she's coming from the states maybe, but she's like entering this circuit for some reason. Yeah, you know, I guess it's kind of like a territory sort of thing. So mm-hmm. she's come down here uh, to, uh, you know, away from the American wrestling territories to work in Mexico for a little bit. And the the whole vibe that we've seen thus far of the uh, the luchadora scene here in this film is that uh, it, it's just everyone's really pleasant. They're very supportive of each other. They're protective of each other. Yeah. There's not really a uh, technico rudo baby face um, heel scenario going on here. Everybody's on the same team and they just want to get in there and uh, and compete. It has a, a real sports feel, I guess. I, I agree. Like the yeah, the vibe between all of the luchadoras is uh, wonderful. They're all kind of supportive of each other, and they work together. There's one scene where this horrible like male wrestler comes into their gym. And he's like, "Give me those weights," and like punches one of them. I guess he's yeah. <laughs> he's like, "I want that equipment," and then just attacks them. And then they all gang up and they just beat him down. It is a a righteous rudo beatdown, and I love it. Yeah, it's a great scene because um, uh, uh, our, our two main luchador characters are standing in the background, and we see all the the actual luchadoras that are um, that are in the film. Uh, they're the ones that jump in and start grabbing and flipping this guy. I think somebody puts him in a full Nelson, and somebody drop kicks him, and then there's just a, a huge pile up on him. Like one does a jumping pin, and then everyone else piles on top of that. And uh, Gloria Venus and uh, and Ruby, they just have a nice laugh at this. So like. Ah. 
but then they also get to to bond like they become fast friends because there's a scene right after this uh ruby clearly admires gloria venus she's like you know you're the greatest you're just uh, i wish i could be a wrestler like you and and uh, gloria venus is like oh no you're great too and then Golden Ruby asks her, "What you? Why do you have such a sad look in your eye, despite being, you know, despite being a wrestling machine?" <laughs> and then Gloria Venus says, "It's just something I can't forget. My sister, she was murdered three nights ago." <laughs> it's like, would you expect her to forget it by now? <laughs> uh, but anyway, they they decide to be friends, and they decide Golden Ruby is going to move into Gloria's apartment. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, after this, we get to watch a full-on Luchadora match. Uh, and if this is the tag team match that played under the opening credits. Now we get to finally look at it. Uh, so it's Gloria Venus and Golden Ruby as a team versus the Gazelle and Bertha Galindo. Yeah, and this was this was interesting to watch. Now, for, for my taste, I would say that the actual lucha wrestling we see in Santo and the Treasure of Dracula is, is better and more entertaining. Um, this wrestling, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to to make out exactly how to feel about. It. I think like on one hand, what they show us here again has no rudo technico distinction. There's no good guys or bad guys, so it has a you know very has that real sports feel to it that certainly fits the vibe of the film. Uh, because again, this is not a film about superhero uh, luchadors or luchadoras saving the day. This is about like normal people, like. They're just professionals working in a, uh, in a in a real world scenario, and they just happen to fall into this this sci fi speculative plot line. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like trying to compare the the wrestling that we're seeing here to existing footage, that's where you really run into some problems. And I, I hadn't really looked into this all that much before, but uh, and I could be very wrong on this because again, I'm not an expert. But when I go looking around for non-movie lucha footage from before, say, the 1980s, or, or even any, any indications that some of the biggest annual lucha shows um, uh, of the year, like going back to like 62 and to, um, back in the 50s uh, as well, any indication that those were recorded, I don't get, get anything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then I looked a little deeper and I found there's a uh, an individual that... Um, uh, on, on social media, uh, Lucha blog and Lucha blog is also the, the blog. It's a great English language Lucha source. Uh, this individual points out that uh, while there was Lucha on TV in the 1950s, I do, it doesn't seem like that footage has ever turned up. So I don't know if it's lost, if it needs to be restored or what. I know that with some of those older TV stations, like tapes were reused and stuff was just destroyed and, and without any you know, really forethought in terms of, uh, you know, setting aside for the future. And I don't know, maybe some of these big shows weren't even recorded. Maybe they're just, you know, big gate live events. So what I'm trying to get to is like, it's hard to compare this to what actual pure Lucha Libre was like in this time period. Cause I don't think that we have much footage outside of Lucha films, like uh, of, of male or female performers. Uh, and uh, yeah, so, so some of the earliest Lucha footage we have may be from these films from going back to the 1950s. I think the, the oldest Lucha film in existence was uh, 1952's uh, Hurricane Ramirez. That's the name of, uh, of the, uh, the, the wrestler that is the star of it. So hmm. uh, this was pre-Santo, but I think Santo Pictures picked up not long after this. So I don't know. I find that kind of interesting to to think of like these are these are films about about luchadors and luchadoras going up against monsters and scientists and uh, and, and also like cr- you know criminal masterminds and that sort of thing. Very mm-hmm. much in the in the vein of uh, the the old serial adventures. 
but it also seems like that this uh, that, that these films are also some of the only examples we have of what uh, of what Lucha Libre looked like at the time. Yeah. But at any rate, we see some grapples. There's some takedowns. There's you know it's some fun action going on in the ring, and it gets it across for the audience what's going on here. And we get to see characters in the audience in the scene. So both the police detectives, Mike and Tommy, and the professor come to watch. <laughs> the, uh, even though, despite what the professor said, he's there at the match. And on the close-ups of the professor, he looks hilarious. Yep, yep. These are definitely some of those scenes where you get that uh, the effect of the big, thick glasses making his eyes look enormous. And he does he does look kind of queasy observing the uh, the, the brutal violence. Yeah, everyone around him is is yelling and hooting and hollering, getting into it, and uh, he he is not so much. He's just quietly observing it, and you know maybe it's making him feel bad. Here's another thing that you might understand. I didn't. Why are the, the detectives when they show up? Tommy encourages Mike to start booing, and they just boo as if that's like understood as something you're just supposed to do during the match, but like. Why are they booing and who are they booing at? Are, were you just supposed to boo in these matches? Um, I mean, I'm guessing that you the booing would be for the bad guys, for the Rudos, and you're cheering for the Technicos. I mean, that's the, the clear division, the moral division that would take place and the, the passion play that you're observing in the ring. But again, uh, we don't really have anything to indicate that either team is good or bad. They're just all working ladies uh, doing their jobs up there. Yeah, huh. Well, the professor uh, visits the locker room after. So Gloria and Ruby, I think they win. They make a great tag team. Uh, and the, then the professor comes to visit them in the locker room, I guess, to <laughs> tell them something. I don't remember what. But the, the first thing they, they're like, oh, hey, did you like the, the fight, professor? And he's like, nah, I detest such spectacles. Absolutely horrible. <laughs> um, and then the, the detectives come in. And uh, there, there's a funny moment when Ruby, uh, Golden Ruby, shakes hands with Tommy, the short detective. She, like, crushes his hand and he buckles at the knees and he is immediately in love. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then we see the two wrestlers and the two detectives. Uh, they go out for supper and dancing after this. So love is in the air. And you really do think you're going to go and see this date. Like, it sounds like yeah. it could be fun. We'll, we'll learn, learn more about these characters. Mm -hmm. We'll get more of this um, uh, Tommy and Ruby romance that is budding. No, we don't see that at all. Yeah. We cut straight to Gloria and Ruby asleep in bed. <laughs> so I guess we just skip over that. The Mad Doctor's goons show up. This is the, I think we mentioned the scene earlier. They show up to like creep in through the window and kidnap them, I think. Uh, but the Luchadoras, uh, they hear them coming and then they pretend to be asleep, but then jump out and issue a brutal walloping on the bad guys. Oh yeah. They just beat the tar out of them. They just like take them down. It's like two, two hands that punch in at a time, right in the face. Uh -huh. They just drive them out. They're out the windows. They're like kicking them in the butt as they're going yeah. out the windows. <laughs> so it's very satisfying. Uh, but then we see the, the henchmen go back to the mad doctor and they're like, why didn't you tell us those two girls were wrestlers? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but after this, the, uh, the police come up with the plan. The detectives are like, I know those men are going to come and try to kidnap you again because they want your brains, obviously. So uh, let's use the you two luchadoras as bait to draw out the mad doctor you know so we'll let you get kidnapped and then we'll follow close behind you and that way we'll catch him all right pretty pretty standard but seems all right i mean this is the first point in the the picture though where i was like really our luchadoras are going to be bait uh like they're the tough ones but uh, all right we'll go with it 
Well, I don't know. It makes sense because they're the tough ones, I thought. I thought that was the whole oh, point. that's true. Yeah, well, that that's true as well. I guess the thing is, like, this is the sort of uh, scheme that, that would be employed in in various other sort of uh, serial action pictures of the day, you can imagine. So uh, it, it feels like a, 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 they're reusing a formula here. Uh, but, yeah, like you say, it makes sense. And they're tough. They can stand up for themselves when things inevitably go wrong. Right. So uh, they, they go out walking uh, after midnight and then here comes uh, here comes Gomar in his armor and mm-hmm. he like grabs them. They get in the car. Just, you know, they need your brains, ladies. So they, they speed away to the Mad Doctor's uh, secret hideout pursued by the detectives. Once again, when everybody's gathered here in the Mad Doctor's lab, uh, the, the Mad Doctor in his in his super creepy Inquisitor hood, he's like, uh, you did an excellent job, Gomar. Excellent work. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike and Tommy track them down. Uh, they they show up. Uh, they follow the car, and they show up. They fight the Mad Doctor's henchmen, but they are outnumbered. Uh, Mike and Tommy not doing so hot. I mean, they they put up a fight, but th- th- there's too many henchmen. Things look bad until Gloria and Ruby wake up. They were like laying on these operating tables, and then they they come to. They run in, beat up the henchmen, and rescue the detectives. Yeah. So, you know, I end up taking back some of what I said here because they do uh, whip more butt here. And we get a nice Scooby-Doo moment here. That's right. So they catch not the mad doctor, but the hench doctor, the second doctor. And they Mm -hmm. unmask him to reveal, wait a minute, we know this man. It's Boris, one of the guys who worked at uh, the chemistry lab with Alice. Mm, all right. So now we're beginning to, to see how things come together here. Yeah. So then there is a police interrogation scene where they I, I don't think this is how they do interrogations in real life. But like every character in the movie is in this room. They're all <laughs> in the same room. All of the captured uh, Mad Doctor henchmen are in the room. Both detectives, the detective's boss, the professor, Gloria and Ruby. Uh, everybody's here. Well, they just didn't have one way glass technology yet, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so they initially think that this guy is the mad doctor, but the professor suggests otherwise. They say, you know what? The professor's like, eh, he's not the real mad doctor. He must be covering up for him. Who's the real mad doctor? <laughs> I don't know why he suspects this, but the cops just kind of go with it and they, they interrogate him on that. And Boris is um, is about to reveal the real mad doctor's identity when he suddenly is like, oh, and he gasps and collapses. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So uh, we get some autopsy results, and we learn that Boris was killed by some kind of tiny weapon, almost like a like a James Bond movie kind of weapon, a cylinder that fires a poison needle into the heart when someone bites down on it. So the true mad doctor, we find out, was in the room with them and had a cylinder in his mouth and must have bit down on the cylinder to shoot the poison needle into Boris's heart and then spit the cylinder out somewhere. All right. It, I, I like it. It's complicated. But but yeah, we have some spy gadgetry going on here. Uh, and we also learned that the real mad doctor escaped through a secret passageway with Gomar when the when the police came in. Yeah. Footage not found. Right. So uh, so uh, they say, uh, oh, we, we come back and we see the mad doctor in his disguise and he's talking to his main henchman, I guess the one the, that the police didn't catch. And he says, you know, Boris tried to turn me in, but he paid dearly for his treachery. Once again, I have made the police look like fools. Uh, Rob, I just know they're standing really close in this scene. Why? I don't know. <laughs> they're in a big room and they're standing almost like right at each other. Well, yeah, and it's a wide shot, too, I guess is the thing, because you get used to seeing people having conversations way too close to each other in films. But oftentimes it's for that tighter shot yeah. here. Uh, we, You know, we could have had folks stand a little further back from each other here and it would have been fine yeah there's so much negative space i wonder uh oh but anyway um he's like okay so i i punish people who betray me and the henchman's like i'm no stool pigeon chief i'm loyal so what's next for the mad doctor well reorganize the gang and then he thinks i'm gonna eliminate those pesky detectives mike and his stupid sidekick will die uh and then these were some good uh things from the English dub. He says, I'm going to make a good trap. And then he says, I'm sure his death is not going to be pretty. Mm. But the way he says good trap makes me think, wait, did he make a trap before? Was that was like not a good trap? Or, you know, he's maybe he's just kind of uh, building himself up. I'm yeah. going to make a good trap. I can do it. This is the goal I've set for myself. 
So after this, Mike and Tommy visit the Luchadora gym and they give special watches to Gloria and Ruby, which are uh, we find out are transponder watches so that they can always be found. And we we learn that Mike and Tommy are wearing them, too. So you can activate them and they'll produce like a homing signal. Uh, so everybody's like, kind of engaged to each other now via spy <laughs> technology. Yeah. When they give them out, Gloria's like, hey, these are cute. <laughs> Uh, there's more uh, a tall, short uh, romance humor with uh, Ruby and, and Tommy. Uh, she's like, oh, I couldn't stand to, to be lost from you, my five-foot lightning bolt. <laughs> but what is the Mad Doctor's trap going to be? Well, the professor calls the police. He calls up Mike uh, and says he's got to arrange a meeting with the detectives. But then the camera pulls back to reveal that he's calling at gunpoint. There are some bad guys pointing guns at him. Uh, and it turns out the Mad Doctor's uh, goons are using this as a setup to catch Mike and Tommy. So the Mad Doctor catches them. He's like, you have interfered with my work. Take them to the death chamber. So what's the death chamber? Well, first they have to walk through the basement that's got all the upside down chairs in it. Mm-hmm. But then they throw them in a chamber, which, uh, oh, Rob, how would you describe this contraption? I loved it. All right. So basically we have the walls closing in here. This is one of the this is something we've seen in, in, in so many films. Right. Uh, uh, this is it's the it's the, the, the trash compactor scene from mm-hmm. Star Wars, you know, right um, in, in Star Wars. And of course, George Lucas was drawing on on older cinematic traditions here. Uh, we have two walls moving in to, to squash squash our heroes between them. Yes. Sometimes you get spikes thrown into the mix mm-hmm. as well. And um, on the, the spike front. We do have a great example of that from um, Crawl. Uh, it was maybe not just two walls, but there was some spike action going on in that movie as well. Yes, yes. The bandits who end up uh, allying with... Oh, Kroll's not the hero. Kroll's the bad guy. The, whatever his name is, the hero. No, Kroll's the planet. Kroll's the planet. That's right. <laughs> yeah. No, the the bandits who... Uh, Alan Armstrong's buddies. Yeah. Wait, it is Alan Armstrong, isn't it? Am I remembering? Yeah, that yeah, right? he's in there. He's in the okay, spike yeah. room. Okay, yeah, th- th- those guys, they end up in a spike room that's got spikes yeah. coming out of the walls. Now, uh, I had to look into this a little bit because I'm like, I wonder how far back this goes. Uh, and, and I'm not entirely sure what, what what's the first film to have walls moving in on our heroes. But it does show up in 1935's The Raven. These are just blank walls that are going to squish our hero and the, the damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also have red hot walls closing in in Edgar Allan Poe's story, The Pit in the Pendulum from 1842. So at the very least, I think we can safely say this is an idea that predates cinema. Mm. But this film has its own unique take on it because we have a wall with spikes on one side and that's moving. On the other side, we have a stationary cage wall but on the other side of that cage wall is gomar and gomar is all riled up he's reaching through the cage with his uh, monster arms uh trying to grab our hero so you know what are they going to do are they going to they're going to give in to to gomar and let him you know tear them to to pieces or are they going to let the spikes skewer them and if they they don't make up their mind they're going to get the worst of both worlds right so they are trapped between a spike wall and a gomar place yeah, just just like the saying goes. But then we remember that uh, while the detectives originally presented these watches to Gloria and Ruby as like something that could save them, tables are turned because they need help. So the detectives mm-hmm. radio Gloria and Ruby with their watches. Uh, they activate a sound beacon so that the luchadoras can track them down and uh, track them down. They do when the luchadoras arrive at the lab. 
the lab is covered in cobwebs. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> they were just they were just there. It seems like a day before and it didn't have any cobwebs. Yeah. Yeah. There's, these are some fast acting spiders, I guess. Yeah. But Gloria and Ruby to the rescue. They beat up the mad doctor's thugs and they free the helpless cop boyfriends. Uh, and uh, they uh, get into a big fight there. They're, they're, they're sort of fighting their way out of the hideout. And in the end, Gloria Venus throws acid into the mad doctor's face. He's still masked, but he gets the acid on him. And he, the mad doctor screams. And then there's like a, there's suddenly a raging fire and they say, oh no, the mad doctor, he's done for. He's trapped in this burning building. We have to escape. No time to find out the mad doctor's real identity before we leave. Mm-hmm. But this is a big moment for Gloria. This is her first opportunity to actually physically strike out against uh, the, the, the man who murdered her sister. Right. She's she's got her revenge or so she thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, your spo- uh, spoiler warning, the Mad Doctor's identity reveal is coming in just a moment. So if you don't want to know it, you can you can pause here. Um, but so we have Gomar comes to the rescue. Surprisingly, he, he shows up. He drags the Mad Doctor out of the building. So the Mad Doctor is not killed in the fire. And then we uh, we cut to another scene. Where uh, the the professor and the professor he's doing a phone call, he calls in to check on Gloria. He's like, "Hey, how are you feeling?" Um, and then he says, strangely, he says, "Well, I called because I'd like to watch you wrestle again." And she offers to send him tickets. He doesn't need tickets. He, I don't know why he called. Then he's just like, "I just want to see you wrestle." So he, we learn he's going to do that. And then suddenly there's a reveal. He turns his head and one half of the professor's face is scarred, like Two-Face in Batman. And he says, yeah. I want vengeance. Yeah, this whole scene here is in side profile um, and, until he turns and takes his glasses off and we see uh, that, that, that he is, in fact, scarred with, by the acid. That the professor all along has been the mad doctor and like we said earlier you can kind of see this twist coming miles away Um, yeah there's no other character it really could have been that i can think yeah yeah there wasn't a really they 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 did a they did some interesting things to try and throw you off the scent but they never really developed or or portrayed a proper uh additional suspect like who were we supposed to think it was tommy no i mean the only other character i think you could have because you see him with a mask on the only character who like fits the physical profile might have been Armando maybe um you know Mike yeah. but I don't know that really. makes sense there's no real evidence for that to, you know, to be the case so uh but still like seeing it coming not and knowing how it's going to roll out it's still pretty great because uh, Canedo uh, is, ter- is terrific. He's been terrific the whole film uh, as uh, the professor, uh, but now he gets to uh, go into just pure maniacal mode, unmasked, half-scarred. He's just a full-blown supervillain at this point, and he's delightful. Yeah, I love it. And now he's only using his non-James Mason voice. He's only using mm-hmm. the Mad Doctor voice, the, the deep, sonorous version. Uh, so he announces his plan. He's going to take Gomar's physical strength. He's going to transplant it into the body of a luchadora so he can create a murderous superhuman luchadora to destroy Gloria Venus. So we're putting the the medical goals on the back burner for the time being, and we're switching to vengeance mode here. 
Yeah, and he's he's like uh, doing monologues into the camera. He says, she'll blow her body to pieces. Yes, a little killing in the ring for all the audience to see. And then he did, you know, cackling laughter. But it makes me think he's still maybe like he might have been kind of sincere about his hatred of wrestling from that line. Like maybe he's part of his goal is to get revenge on Gloria Venus. But the other part is to make the audience feel bad for watching wrestling. Did you get that? Yeah. Kind of, because to carry out this uh, this plan of vengeance, uh, and again, it's kind of an unwarranted vengeance, because like, are you really allowed to have vengeance against the person who scarred you while you were trying to take their brain? Uh, I don't know. But at any yeah. rate, he's going to have to become a wrestling manager, a Lucha Libre manager, and wear a Lucha Libre mask in order to carry this out. I don't know. I think vengeance often works that way. I mean, okay, so Captain Ahab wants vengeance against That's Moby true. Dick, but he was trying to kill Moby Dick. He was That's the true. aggressor and <laughs> He was he was the initial attacker. I think that's just often how it is. People, it's it was your fault the whole time, but still you came out badly and now you want revenge. That's a good point. That's a good point. And like where they have this is the mad quest for revenge now. It's all yeah. encompassing. You know, Gloria Venus wanted vengeance. She swore vengeance, but she still was keeping up her day job. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and her and her and her social life. But so they uh, they do the procedure and they create the super luchadora named Vendetta. And uh, so he tests her out. He says, like, uh, destroy that table there. And she flips over the table and she's <laughs> she's wearing. Oh, this is now a masked luchadora. I don't think any of the luchadoras we've met so far have been masked. No, they hadn't. Um and it's it's a pretty it's also the first costume we see that has any pizzazz to it uh, because the the mask has like a lightning bolt on it. Um, lower face is uh, is revealed in the mask, and then we get kind of a sparkly looking cape, which is very jaunty. Even if the basic jumpsuit underneath is the same gray jumpsuit that everyone else has. All right, so Vin, Vendetta is now on the scene, and uh, we learn there's like a, a TV announcer saying, "Okay, she's called Vendetta. She's from Paris." Um, <laughs> Was was there a big wrestling scene in Paris? Maybe there was. Uh, I I think there there was there was rest, there was wrestling in France at some point. I'm not sure okay. if, what was going on there in '62, but huh. okay. remember Andre the Giant came from France. Oh, that's true. I, yeah, I've just never heard of French wrestling before, but I, I guess it must have been a thing. Uh, but we learn that she challenges Gloria Venus for the championship, and uh, there's going to be they the numbers here are fuzzy. They say first that they're fighting for a purse of. 2,400 currency unspecified. They just say the number. And then later they say that the fight is for $25,000. Do, do you understand what's going on there? I'm not sure. I mean, you know, I probably shouldn't pick this apart too much because also like this is the main event. Vendetta's complete unknown. They're just going to reveal her. And now she has a main event uh, slot over everybody else. She instantly gets the challenge for the uh, the championship, I guess. I assume Seems it doesn't usually work like that. Like you, you, you're not a rookie and you get to go fight Stone Cold or whatever. Well, I mean, I guess it does kind of work like that sometimes. But okay. um, even for the like a, the, the real sports feel we're going for here, uh, there has to be some sort of build up, right? Some sort of a, um, a win loss record established. But now we're going straight for it. So there's a funny scene where they like sign the contract and, uh, oh, the, the mad doctor is there also wearing a lucha mask, uh, for mm -hmm. the contract signing scene. And he looks creepy and his, his mask has teeth. Yeah. Yeah. has kind of a skull uh, vibe going on. Uh, but we go to the, the match and when Vendetta enters the ring, she's just like kicking spectators in the face. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so finally in this match, we get that that proper Rudo Technico vibe going on. One wrestler is clearly the villain and the other is clearly the hero. One is honorable and the other one is just all fighting and uh, nastiness. Wants to, you know, not only wants to hurt her opponent, but will hurt anyone else that gets in her way. That's right, because we see Vendetta like suplexing the referee, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I think throws the referee, yeah. She eventually throws the referee out of the ring. And so, uh-oh, is Gloria done for? Well, ultimately, it's a movie where, where, where friendship comes to the rescue because Golden Ruby comes in to help her. She, uh, I don't know if she used the tag rope correctly, but uh, Golden Ruby comes into the ring and together <laughs> they beat up Vendetta. Oh, you know, we're, this is completely no rules at this point. This is okay. a straight up run. I mean, that basically, the, the, the any order in the match has fallen apart. I mean, and that was the that was uh, the professor's plan all along, right? Is like he's, he's he doesn't want her beat in the ring. He wants her killed in the ring. Right. Uh, but ultimately, this is not the final showdown. I kind of wish they they had somehow found a way to do the final like ultimate showdown in the ring. Instead, the the action moves elsewhere. Um, because, uh, the mad doctor has to run away, I think, cause the police arrive. So he's like, Oh no. And he runs away and then he, he summons vendetta to help him. And they both end up climbing a water tower and the police put like, you know, uh, high beams on them. They put like, uh, lights up on them and Mike climbs up the water tower to, I guess, tell them to come down or something, but they start attacking Mike and they're like stomping on his fingers as he's hanging on for dear life. So what do they have to do? Well, they've got to, they've got to shoot them. So Tommy shoots the, uh, the mad doctor and vendetta with a rifle and that's the end. I feel like that's kind of an unsatisfying ending to to this. I, I wish they'd, they'd had a different kind of final confrontation. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I feel like the, the, the ending here is the ultimate weak, weak link because it ends up taking place outside the ring after we've built up to that uh, that in-ring encounter. And doesn't, then doesn't involve the main characters. Yeah, it doesn't involve our luchadoras at all. It's just a is police shooting the the villains off a water tower. Yeah. Uh, so like our villains end up looking a bit dumber for having gone up there. Yes. And then it's just kind of, they're just kind of dispatched w- with ease. And then it's the end of the picture. So I wish they had done something, something a little different here at the end. I agree. I think uh, this movie overall is deserving of a much better ending confrontation. I feel like they could have found a way to make it all happen in the ring, but I don't know. Yeah. Or if they had to go to one last location, I don't know, maybe a secondary layer. Maybe it's a, they try to, there's a getaway car, a submarine. I don't know. There's so many places you could go. Why the water tower? Yeah, you're totally right. And then it wraps up so quick after that. The mad doctor like falls to his death off the water tower. And I think the uh, detective comes in and he says to Gloria Venus, uh, it's all over now. Your sister has been avenged. The end. (laughs) That's it. I I do like that about a lot of these old pictures that when it's time to close up the shop, uh, they just turn the sign around and you're out the door. Well, I'm going to say I I really had a great time with this movie. A Doctor of Doom, tremendously fun. Yeah, yeah. Ending aside is a lot of fun. Uh, fun performers. Uh, well shot, like we've been saying. You know, nice, nice, attractive black and white. Because uh, a lot of the film is is about like creeping around in alleys and creeping around in mad science layers. Uh, so uh, the black the black and white fits it really well, and they they do a good job with it. Mm-hmm. I think we've gone on really long about this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We we may have to cut some of my uh my diatribes there about um 
uh, about uh, Lucha Libre uh, history there. Uh, but at any rate, it was fun to return to the world of, of Lucha uh, in this picture. So if you enjoyed this one and you didn't listen to our episode about Santo and the Treasure of Dracula, uh, go back and listen to that one because you'll probably enjoy it as well. Uh, just a reminder that we're primarily a science podcast here. Uh, it's sane science for the most part, not mad science. Uh, and with it, we have our core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind publishing and the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But on Fridays, we set aside most serious concerns to just talk about a weird film. If you want to see a complete list of all the movies we've discussed on Weird House Cinema, well, you can go to a couple of places. I blog about these films at samutamusic.com. But also, if you use Letterboxd, that's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D.com, we have a profile there. Uh, the profile is Weird House. You can look us up. We have a list there, and you can see like all the all the movies we've covered, the poster arts cascading across the screen, and you can sort through them. You can look at them by by decade, by genre, that sort of thing. It's pretty fun to, to toy around with. Huge thanks to our audio producer, J.J. Posway. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your mind.com Stuff to blow your mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.